Our opening words this morning are by William Stafford, and they're titled, Ask Me. Sometime when the river is ice, ask me mistakes I have made. Ask me whether what I have done is my life. Others have come in their slow way into my thought, and some have tried to help or to hurt. Ask me what difference their strongest love or hate has made. I will listen to what you say. You and I can turn and look at the silent river and wait. We know the current is there, hidden. And there are comings and goings from miles away that hold the stillness exactly before us. What the river says, that is what I say. You want to be up here? Would you like to open the treasure box for me? Let's see what's in there this morning. What is that? A book? Yes. Okay, so we have a book. And then will you pick that up, the hanger? Let's see what happens when we pull it out. Whoa. <laughs> we have some scarves on a hanger. Will you sit down with us? Okay. So today we have a book called Mommy's Chimar. So have any of you heard the word khimar before? No? Have you heard the word hijab before? No? So a hijab. You didn't like seeing yourself on TV? You want to be recorded again? Yeah, sure. Okay. I think we're being recorded. Yeah, I think you're going to be in that video. What do you think? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so khimar is another word for hijab. So this book again is called Mommy's Khimar and it's by Jamila Tompkins Bigelow, illustrations by Ebony Glenn. So let's see what, what we have. So a khimar is a flowing scarf that my mommy wears. Before she walks out the door each day, she wraps one around her head. In mommy's closet, there are so many khimars. So again, these right here, okay, these headscarves. So many that I can't count them. Black ones, white ones, purple, blue, red, stripes, patterns, and polka dots too. Can you see all the colors on the pages? Yeah. Some have tassels, some have beads. Some have sparkly things all over. And she has my favorite color, yellow. Does anybody like yellow? Does anybody like that color? You like red? What's your favorite? You like purple? What's your favorite color? Red? Okay. When I put on mommy's chimad, I become a queen with a golden train. Under the khimar, my braids and twists form a bumpy crown. It's not easy to cover the many plates mommy puts in my hair. So she's putting this, the khimar, the hijab, the scarf on her hair. It's going to cover her hair. 
When I wear mommy's khimar, I shine like the sun. I dive and become a shooting star into a pile of clouds. Of course, I make sure that mommy doesn't see me. While I'm telling you this story, do you all want to, do you want to feel the different khimars and hijabs that I brought? So you can all get close and all. This smells like a new house? Probably smells like my house, which is a new house to you, right? Yeah. Yeah. So as you're feeling them, as you're feeling them with your hands, let me know which one you like the most, okay? At the end, I'll ask you which one you like, how it feels, what color. <laughs> when I wear mommy's climat, I am a mama bird. I spread my golden wings and shield my baby brother as he sleeps in his nest. Mommy shakes her head, but her eyes are smiling. When I wear mommy's khimad, I am a superhero in a cape. Do you see her superhero-ness? Dashing from room to room at the speed of light. Daddy snatches me up and I fly. Mommy can't stop laughing when his bristly beard tickles my cheek with a kiss. When I wear mommy's khimad, mommy is with me even when she's away. I close my eyes and if I breathe in deeply, really deeply, I smell the coconut oil in mommy's hair and the cocoa butter on her skin. And if I breathe in even more deeply than that, I smell the cinnamon in her favorite dessert. She always shares a piece. Oh, now we have a visitor in the book. When I wear mommy's khimad and mom mom visits after Sunday service, she sings out, sweet Jesus and calls me sunshine. Mom, mom doesn't wear a khimad. She doesn't go to the mosque like mommy and daddy. We are a family and we love each other just the same. So she's Muslim and her grandma, her mom, mom is Christian. And she wears the scarf, one of these, and her grandma doesn't. When I go to the mosque wearing mommy's khimar, the older woman coo, assalamu alaikum, little sis. Have you ever heard the phrase assalamu alaikum? So that's how Muslims, they greet each other and we say, peace be upon you. Okay, so it's just like saying peace, okay? My Arabic teacher exclaims, beautiful, beautiful hijab. Hijab is the word she uses for khimar. Sometimes I say hijab too. And if you want, we can take them out of the hanger. Does anybody want to touch this one? That one? You want to hold that one and see all the colors on it? When I wear mommy's khimad and we go home and it starts to get dark outside, mommy tells me gently, take it off. It's time for sleep. So she's going to take it off to go to bed. She removes the khimad from her head and I remove mine and we hang them up for the night. <laughs> Do you like the smell? The new, new house smell. 
I look around at all the chimars, too many to count. I stroke the yellow scarf one last time. I close my eyes and breathe in deeply, really deeply. And if I breathe in deeply enough, I can take mommy's chimar with me. I place it inside my head. I take other things and place them there too. <laughs> Look at all this yellow. A crown with a train, the sun and a shooting star, a baby dozing on a golden wing. I take a ticklish kiss in the sky, coconut and cocoa with a cinnamon sweet and the prayers of gray haired women. <laughs> I take all these things with me and go to sleep. Though mommy is away, it feels like she comes with me too. And that's the story. So I see, do you see how I have this scarf around my neck? I used to wear it on my head. So I used to cover my hair, but I don't do that that much anymore. So I still wear it around my neck. Did you guys decide which one you like the most? You like that one? You want, you want to touch that one? Why do you like this one? You like all the colors on it? Yeah. So some of them can be long and some of them can be short and they can be all sorts of colors and made of different materials. And sometimes you'll see women putting them around their neck and sometimes they'll wear it on their head and their neck. And sometimes, you know, we take it on and off, we put it on and off. And yeah, we have a lot of them at home. So thank you for being here with my story. Yeah, there are so many things that you can do with a hijab and a khimad, right? This morning we have a reading by Father Richard Rohr. When religion does not move people to the mystical or non-dual level of consciousness, it is more a part of the problem than any solution whatsoever. It solidifies anger, creates enemies, and is almost always exclusionary of the most recent, recent definition of sinner. At this level, it is largely incapable of its supreme task of healing, reconciling, forgiving, and peacemaking. When religion does not give people an inner life or a real prayer life, it is missing its primary vocation. There isn't a title for my reflection in the order of service, but if I did title it, I think I would probably title it a religious travel log. I believe that Unitarian Universalists are natural seekers. Few of us are here because we were born into this tradition, Reverend Nick being a notable exception. Most of us were rooted in a different religious tradition. And yet, here we are now, all under this big umbrella of Unitarian Universalism. For me, the journey began at the first Christian church here in Columbus. At the time, it was a Disciples of Christ congregation. As a four, five, six-year-old, 
I knew nothing about the doctrine of the church or the fact that the building had been designed by Elio Saarinen, an internationally acclaimed architect. It was just a place where we spent an hour or two on Sunday morning. After our move to Greenfield, when I was nine, we spent a few months attending the largest Methodist church in town before finally settling in at the Greenfield Christian Church, which was another Disciples of Christ congregation. The move had nothing to do with religious doctrine. My dad did not find the Methodist church to be sufficiently welcoming, so he sought out other options. I have nothing but good memories from my time there. They had an active youth group, and I was very much involved with that group. However, when I went off to college, my regular weekly church attendance ended, and it did not resume until almost 40 years later when Judy and I found UUCCI. In the interim, my church time was limited to weddings, including my first one, funerals, my son's baptism, and confirmation. Since my first wife was Catholic, my son was raised in the Catholic Church, which fulfilled a promise I had made to the Jesuit priest who performed our wedding. I had no problem with that because I was confident that as an adult, uh, my son would find his own spiritual bearings as I had done. He did, and it did not include Catholicism. So Judy and I arrived here in Columbus 20 years ago, unchurched, but maybe hoping to fill a gap in our lives. Difficult to explain, intangible, but there. We both at least recognized the name Unitarian Universalist, but had not a clue about the tradition. After our move, Judy began to pay attention to the small church blurbs that appear in the Saturday edition of the Republic. They seem to be somewhat more descriptive in those days than they are now for whatever reason. And she was intrigued by the blurbs from UUCCI. And for those of you who remember John Price, he was the person responsible for preparing those blurbs and service descriptions and getting them into the Republic. Not long after, we were at a Democratic Party dinner with some friends and happened to ask what they might know about UUCCI. Their response was, you really need to talk to Mary Glasson. She was there that evening. Our friends introduced us, and she spoke with great passion about UUCCI. And Mary, in her own quiet way, could be incredibly determined and persistent. She exacted a promise from us to check out UUCCI. And we didn't have to sign in blood, but almost. Uh, Judy attended on one of the following Sundays. I was not yet quite ready to make the leap, so she served as our scout. Uh, Thanks to many in the congregation, but especially to Barry Kastner, she had a very positive experience. She convinced me to go the next Sunday, and here we are, 20 years later. We all have stories to tell, 
and those individual stories have brought us here to this point. But I think that individually and collectively, we need to resist the mindset of, I've arrived, I have found my destination, I can put my feet up, kick back, and relax. I believe that we continue to be seekers. We continue to look for meaningful ways to make a difference, whether in work on anti-racism initiatives, supporting LBGTQ rights, pushing for environmental justice, or active participation in the Interfaith Forum of Columbus, and much more. The journey continues. I think that Elizabeth will offer us some ways of thinking about our individual journeys, past, present, and future. Happy to be with you all now on our fourth Sunday together as Reverend Nick continues on his sabbatical and you all continue on your journeys. I just want to say that was a beautiful reflection, Steve, a reminder of what a journey to arrive to a place, to a faith, to a community is like with its details, with its intricacies. A reminder for us, I think, that Unitarian Universalism is also a place where we arrive and a place that we seek out. On our first Sunday of February together, we talked about the paper cuts that we've gotten along the way of religious experiences that, of course, happen in UU spaces, too. And we'll talk more about that in upcoming Sundays. This week, though, while continuing to make space for those paper cuts and continuing to tenderly hold memories that might have risen up out of us, I want to invite us to move into looking at what brought us to Unitarian Universalism and to remember what seeking we've already done and what seeking we continue to pursue or that we might need to add into our journeys. But before, I'd like to invite us into another moment of pause and reflection to ask ourselves a few questions together. So you'll take a deep breath with me. And deep breath out. And another deep breath in. I invite us to reflect on what it is that brought us to Unitarian Universalism. We had the opportunity to hear Steve's story and we honor his journey making space for our stories too. And maybe we're just a friend that comes and visits UUCCI. Or maybe you've grown up Unitarian Universalist. Or maybe you found UU like many of us here. So I invite you to ask yourself some questions and take which one you'd like to sit with and discard the ones that you don't. And I invite you to invite in presence, that stillness of time. So what along the journey have you sought out? What along the journey have you sought out? 
And what has sought you? What do you continue to seek? And what are you beginning to make space for on your spiritual journey? invite you to take another deep breath. As I remind all of us and myself that the work of being embodied is our human nature and it's our human right. And something that we continue to hold that will help us as we continue to be, you know, work through navigating being conscious of systems of oppression that seek to disembody or rule through disembodiment moments to pause and take a breath and check in with your body to reflect and ask questions are really helpful to calming us, to being able to reflect. Just another deep breath in and another deep breath out. Mm -hmm. It was in 2014, I think, when I was taking a philosophy class at IUPUI. The class was called William James and the Religious Experience. And it's where I learned about William James' definition of religion and mystical experience. And my takeaway from that class was kind of an embodied permission this idea that I, as a person, I, as Elizabeth Valencia Gutierrez, could name my religious journey without naming the big figures. That I didn't have to say Prophet Muhammad or Prophet Jesus or our Mother Mary every time. Peace be upon them all. And I remember sitting in that class in my hijab around my head, next to a younger Muslim guy who on the outside I had judged as not very religious, remembering that I come from a very orthodox Muslim practice. And I definitely carried biases about people that I judged. And it was in that class that I was able to name openly, I think for the first time that I was integrating Buddhism in my spiritual practice with my Muslim Sufi tradition. And I just remember the glance and the raised eyebrows when he turned to me and gave me the look like I was out of my mind. But that's exactly why Buddhism was in my life. I found Buddhism and I turned to it to help me get out of my mind, out of perfectionism, 
out of unhelpful judgments of myself. And I used it and infused it into my Muslim Sufi practice because there were tools there that I didn't have in my Muslim Sufi practice. So much pain in my life brought me to these great books, or maybe those books were brought to me. And so these Buddhist spiritual teachers too became just as important to me and they sat next to my Muslim Sufi teachers. And we find that for a lot of people, that is the case that Buddhism is a safe container next to other parts of one's identity. It can be secularized, it can be added to, it can just be a place where we visit as guests and return back to Unitarian Universalism. So I just loved William James and his class and his ideas. This philosopher considered one of the fathers of Western psychology, and he defined religion as, quote, the feelings, acts, and experiences of individual men in their solitude so far as they apprehend themselves to stand in relation to whatever they may consider divine. You can find this in his varieties of religious experience. So he's pointing us to that inner world of religious experience, that work inside ourselves, bringing forth an awareness of the diversity of spiritual life that stems from how different we are from the beginning of life until the end. When we look at our Unitarian history, one thing we can pull out is the way that our Unitarian ancestors approached the idea of where authority and religion comes from. Our ancestors wanted to give the authority back to the individual, to you and to me. One example of this is Ralph Waldo Emerson in his essay, Self-Reliance, when he says, quote, nothing is at last sacred, but the integrity of your own mind. Looking back, I can appreciate, as Steve, as Steve did in his reflection, too, on the ways that life was bringing me to Unitarian Universalism. But for me, Unitarian Universalism isn't the end of my journey. It became a safe space where it was safe to explore what I needed and what I need and to wrestle with what I already am, what I already believe and to integrate. I do think it's important to name that there are consequences though to this type of individual experience that we lift up through a Western lens. And maybe that is what we largely attract. We maybe attract people that agree with this way of seeing religion and authority and individualism. This unity and the process of appreciating religious experience through a more individualistic lens is part of our UU makeup. And there is more to say about individualism and the way we do religion, but I think we can appreciate that part of what's brought us here collectively is that we hold a kind of open-mindedness in our certainty. And I'm borrowing this phrase, an open-mindedness in our certainty that allows us to have genuine tolerance or invites us into genu genuine tolerance. And throughout our history, this spirit has been carried. A lot can become more accessible when our view of religion and religious life and religious experience widens. 
It can happen with an individualistic lens, but it can also happen with a communal one. One that does hold authority or gives authority to specific sacred texts. My own appreciation for this idea of being a seeker comes from my Muslim experience within Islamic Sufism. The word for seeker in Arabic is murid, M-U-R-E-E-D, murid. And a murid seeks out a path called a tariqa, T-A-R-I-Q-A, tariqa. So murid is someone who seeks out a spiritual guide from one of the many Sufi paths for spiritual and character development. Some of these paths are stricter, more rigid, focusing more on the rules and consistency and structure. Some are more flexible. They focus on ease. And they all hone in on the idea of becoming one with a divine, falling in love with a divine, with interconnectedness and creation. One takes on a spiritual guide who will accompany that student, this murid, the seeker, as they travel on their own path and the path meets their life. And you can be in monthly gatherings of remembrance with your prayer beads, litanies are read, chants and rhythmic invocations that bring in embodiment to try to reach a state where a murid comes closer to a deep awareness of the divine and creation with a goal of forgetting oneself getting out of one's mind and one's hyper-focus. There's a guide that in these paths, monitor intensity, depth, and duration of rhythmic invocations known as a hadra. For the Sufis, the connection between the body and the mind and the heart are clear. And the body and mind connection needs to be unlocked to reach a more softer state that leads to a softening of the heart to an open-mindedness, to an opening of that spiritual part within us. And this is done from a communal lens, again, where authority is still very much centered in the Islamic sacred texts, and where authority is also given to the spiritual teacher and to the path. <clears throat> now imagine adding Buddhism into that. The tariqa that I was on was a, I've been in two, um, but it, the first one for years was very strict. And there's multiple lessons. In the first lesson, you work on making your prayer on time for 40 days while you work on the lesson of anger at the same time. You could be on day 39 and slam that door in front of your husband's face and you're going back to day one. <laughs> so you might never get out of lesson one. Lesson one might be the lesson you're on for the rest of your journey. I had access to great saints and mystics that often found themselves on the margins, calling us to a profound love for the divine. Mystics like the Sufi woman Rabia al-Adawiya from Basra, Iraq in the eighth century. Some of my favorite quotes from her include this. I love God. I have no time left in which to hate the devil. Or I carry a torch in one hand and a bucket of water in the other. With these things, I am going to set fire to heaven and put out the flames of hell so that voyagers to God can rip the veils and see the real goal. I was listening to 
a podcast with Father Richard Rohr of the Center of Action and Contemplation with researcher Brene Brown. And I love that quote from our reading. Brene Brown pulled it out of one of his books. So he, at the end of it, he says, when religion does not give people an inner life or a real prayer life, it is missing its primary vocation. So he invites us into this idea of mysticism or non-dual consciousness to expand our view of religion and spirituality. So he uses this term, and with my Sufi background, I also use this term, and it's an experiential knowledge of the self of our egos. In another quote, Father Richard Rohr talks about what he thinks Christianity did wrong in the West. And he says that it focused on the shadow, not the ego. And for Muslims, the ego has different layers. There are ways to get to know the self and what helps us live a more fulfilling life and what gets in the way. We don't discard who we are. We are not a sin. We hold the worth and dignity up of the human being. He continues to make a distinction between religion and mysticism, and he has some really great books. I brought one. This one's called What the Mystics Know, Seven Pathways to Your Deeper Self. But this other quote comes from The Naked Now, Learning to See as a Mystic Sees. And he says, quote, common religion seeks private perfection. The mystics see and enjoy the foundation itself, divine union, totally given. If you're someone that came out of Christianity and want a different outlook on the divine, Father Richard Rohr, who is a tr Trinitarian, is a really great resource. He has a book called, again, the What the Mystics Know, and so many more. He's published so many. And so much of his work reminds me of the journey that I have been on and have seen so many others on. For me, as I've moved away from hyper-focusing on heaven and hell, or saving people, or saving myself, to giving myself permission to really live life here on earth imperfectly, but kindly, with accountability, no matter the outcome post-death. Like I've moved from a place where even if heaven and hell are real, it's not the point for me anymore. I often use the example of like parenting and maybe it's not the greatest example, but you know, your kid goes to the stove and puts their hand there and you might actually slap the hand to make the point, this is dangerous. But at some point you hope that your kids don't need reminders anymore and that they've embodied what you've taught them saying, please, or thank you. Right. And you can move away and step back. So it's like a maturity of, of religious life that that is being compared to. And so much, I think of what father Richard Rohr is talking about is calling us to look for these people that inspire us to be better, to do our work, to combine the work of the body, heart, and mind in our spiritual development. And we'll talk more in an upcoming service about why this work is so important as a faith community when we invite in diversity into our spaces. So Richard, Father Richard Rohr says to look towards the mystics if you want to seek inspiration. And mystics can be controversial. 
in their religious traditions. They exist everywhere. We have, you know, Zen Buddhist master Thich Nhat Hanh is one of my dearest teachers. So they exist in all the places and all the gaps. Something I want to name is that to do ministry with a Unitarian Universalist community is very challenging because of the fact that our journeys are so different. I study at Christian Theological Seminary and I've said out loud a few times when they say Jesus in their prayers and I say, can we be more inclusive? And they stretch themselves and say, God. I've said a few times, you have no idea what it means to be inclusive yet, right? Try including any small group of Unitarian Universalists in a prayer and you can upset everyone because you said God or didn't. So you try to create a kind of prayer that brings in elements of where we all are. So with this tension named as Unitarian Universalists, our faith still has so much potential to be that space that we can be proud to tell people about who are seeking a space like this. We can be a space that invites in exploration and curiosity. We can be that space where people find exactly what they need here, at least for as long as they need it. We can be the space for a both and for multi-faith, for this idea of being rooted in multiple places. Why just one? And we can offer that to generations after us. Our faith can help our youth root themselves much more deeply. And I think through this idea of seeking and embracing seeking as a strength, being a UU seeker is what many of us are. It's how we got here. And we shouldn't let the word mystic that I used here scare us off as the author, Dr. Joy R. Bostic, who wrote the book, African-American Female Mysticism says, instead, she says to welcome the idea that in all spiritual traditions, there exists this movement from mere belief systems to actual inner experiences. What are things that we can do? to do that as Unitarian Universalists. Well, apart from participating in our congregation, we can also seek out something like a spiritual director, someone who can walk alongside us and support us as we try to figure out what it is we need and what we're seeking, or with a coach or a therapist that integrates spirituality, right? Of course, with your minister, but there's so many other things that we have access to. And there's some really great Unitarian Universalist spiritual directors. And so they can help support that journey. So may it be so that we continue to honor our past and continue to seek and honor what we've discovered along the way while being here in UU spaces at UUCCI and know that there is depth to the journey. May it be so. Amen.